Welcome to Season 4 of The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we discuss business agility through customer experience, employee experience, and digital transformation. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile Brand Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the role of change agents in digital transformation. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Adam Chen, Chief Marketing Officer at Amenity Collective. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Greg. Really excited to speak with you this evening. Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, definitely an important topic and, and one that I know is top of mind to both of us as well as many, many others. So looking, looking forward to diving in here. But why don't we start by uh, you giving a little background on yourself as well as your role at Amenity Collective. Sure. Um, yeah, as, as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at the Amenity Collective. We are a collection of companies that manage different amenity spaces for a lot of different types of properties, from multifamily properties, condos, HOAs, you know, all the way up to, to massive country clubs, pools, gyms, and the like. It's a really exciting time to be in communications and marketing and be able to really drive some change within our own organization. Over the years, I've had a number of different roles from core IT all the way through, you know, creative and communications, um, as you might find in an agency. But I've always kind of found myself at that intersection of communications, technology, and really driving change in organizations. Great, great. Yeah. And you and I met as a client and agency uh, uh, first started working together there. And I've, I've had the, the fortune of working with you in, in several different capacities. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been great to see a, a lot of different challenges being solved. So looking forward to, to talking and, and certainly touching on, on some of those things. Um, so let's, let's start by talking about digital transformation or just change management or change initiatives in general. Often they're called digital transformations or, or something similar. And, you know, there's a lot of statistics out there, depending on which article you read or which stats you see, as many as 70% of digital transformations fail to, to reach their intended goals and, you know, so many similar things like that. From your perspective and, and experience and, and all of that, why is this so difficult? What, you know, why are change initiatives so difficult? It's mm, a good question. And I'm happy to say that I, I think I have a, a little bit higher uh, batting average than, than the 30% that stat. But certainly, you know, I've had my own, um, I'll call them failures. You know, I know, I know that's kind of a, a, a heavy word sometimes, but, you know, in the, in the true tech form, fail fast and, and learn from it. And, um, you know, I think that's what's gotten me here today. But yeah. I think there's really two sides, to go back to your question, two, two components that organizations need to think about uh, before they even embark on a change initiative. And it goes by many names. Obviously, it's semantics. Digital transformation is very trendy, um, right? But, but really, change is inevitable in, in the world today. Um, and if you're not keeping up with change businesses, you know, you're going to lose your competitive advantage. So yeah. I, I think there's two sides. So it's the personnel that you're ultimately charging with the accountability and responsibility to drive that change with an organization, 
And then it's also, is the environment ripe to accept that change? Is your organization ready? And are all the, the you know, employees that you might have in your organization from top to bottom you know, aligned and bought in to why you're driving this change? And I think that why is really important. I was just going just gonna to ask on that. And I, I want to get to the personnel component, and we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But yeah, why, why don't we start with the, the components? You know, what, what is your thinking on that? Yeah, so uh, on the environmental side, I guess, you know, you know, they talk about it with, with organizations. It really comes down to culture, I, I think, you know, and I think a good barometer to see if your organization has the right culture to accept change is, are people free to communicate? Are people um, willing to critique and offer constructive feedback within your organization, both up the hierarchy and also down the hierarchy? And are people willing to listen to that change and then, and then drive it? But I think I like to use an analogy when I'm, when I'm talking about kind of the environmental factors uh, within an organization. And it's kind of, you know, I, I equate it to a recipe, a cake recipe, maybe, right? And you need to have all the right ingredients to make sure that your cake rises, to make sure that that cake tastes good at the end. You know, and sometimes the ingredients of that cake, you might not think are important, right? But, you know, just like in a cake recipe, the addition of salt, you know, it's not just sugar, but it's also salt that brings out additional flavor. And it's some of those, you know, unexpected ingredients um, that I think are often overlooked within organizations. Yeah. And how do, how does an organization identify those things? And, you know, what's the, what, what are some of the the methods and, and processes that can be used. Cause to your point, there's a lot that goes into, I mean, when we're, we're talking about initiative, some of these initiatives taking, you know, 18, 24 plus months, as well as just, as you said earlier, change never really stops either. So change is continuous. So, you know, how do you, how do you go about identifying some of those, those ingredients that need to be there in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I think it starts with um, strong leadership, Ultimately, you, you know, I mentioned it before, but you need to understand the why and there needs to be a real why, you know, oftentimes I think change initiatives need to be driven by a catalyst. They're really in response to something else. Maybe there is a a merger or an acquisition, right? And you need to bring two cultures together. Maybe there's a brand new market that a company is trying to explore and penetrate, right? That, that necessitates kind of a, some kind of change initiative, whether that's cultural, whether that's a sales approach, I mean, that's brand, you know, it, it can really, you know, be in any element, any division within your business. But I think it all starts at the top. First and foremost, you need to have a vision. And that vision needs to be clear, concise, is able to be communicated by all of leadership. Change initiatives are really organizationally driven, not driven by any necessarily any individual person. It really takes an army. So I think it starts with the CEO. The CEO needs to understand uh, what it takes, right? And and I think what I mean what I mean when I say what it takes is you just mentioned it could take eighteen months, it could take twenty four months. Projects and organizations like to have definitive finite timelines. Right. CEOs and CFOs like to have clear understanding of costs and expectations and resource you know constraints and, and, and all the like you know. But I think even the most practiced organizations that undertake uh, change initiatives still underestimate what it really takes. Maybe oftentimes in my experience, I've found that the training component, right, the communication component and getting actual users of, of some of the you know, change systems in, in the example of maybe a new technology system, getting them to understand why they're doing it, right? Yeah. So that, that's kind of where it starts. But I think the other side of, of the organization is, is kind of the boots on the ground, the doers, right? You can have all the great planning in the world, but that planning and alignment needs to take into account the people that are actually um, going to be affected most by those change initiatives. So 
there needs to be a genuineness of why they're doing it. So the, the leadership needs to be kind of keyed in to what those pain points are, you know, on the ground, on the front lines, you know, client facing folks, whatever that change is. So there already needs to be healthy communication up and down the hierarchy, as I mentioned before, so that inevitably when you run into stuff, you know, roadblocks, stumbling blocks, maybe you need to pivot, change your approach, right? Leadership is ready to hear that. There is a process in which that you can get that feedback and then act on it quickly. And I think through that process, it just builds a stronger organization. You know, if, if you can, you mentioned the stats 70 and 30, right? If you're part of that 30% that can effectively drive a good change initiative, it actually strengthens the culture within your company. Yeah. So I guess the, to summar- summarize, what it takes is it takes alignment across the entire organization and everyone needs to know their role in, in driving that change and then what success looks like. And that has to start with a clear and concise vision. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely agree of with all of that. And, and you know, there's a lot of talk about leadership needing to be aligned and to completely agree with that. When we were when we were chatting before starting starting this interview, just kind of planning for the show, you also mentioned, I think, a really good concept of, you know, for those that are not the CEO and yet that are very much bought into the, the leadership's vision and very much want the change to occur, those, uh, you know, call them change agents can be really, really effective within the organization. And, you know, so I thought that was a really interesting concept that you that you brought up. Do you mind just kind of what is that? What does that term and role change agent mean to you? And and you know what what is their role in a in a change initiative? Yeah, you know, in my mind, um, I like the word. Well, obviously, change agent. Let's break that down a little bit. I, I love the word change. I, I mean, that is very clear and direct of of kind of what your responsibilities. You have to affect change, and and I think that's what drives some intrinsic satisfaction. I think in people is that they can make an impact, right? And that's what change really means: is you can make an impact, a positive impact in an organization. Agent, I think, is also an interesting word there um, because you have to have agency over your your charter, your course, right, in this company and your role. But may- maybe if I use a different word to describe what a change agent is, it's, it's really a leader. And it's a leader in the truest sense that a leader doesn't necessarily need to lead by authority, right? And I think sometimes authoritative leaders, and not necessarily just an authoritative approach, but those that lead due to where they sit in a corporate hierarchy right? It's almost like a pop-out, an excuse, right? It's really a change agent is a leader through influence, right? There's somebody that's well-respected within an organization, whether that's their ability to bring people together, whether that's their deep expertise in a particular topic, right? So so I think it's really important to, I, I think it's not just the change initiative itself and the vision we were talking about before, but it's making sure that you're giving the responsibility to the right person in your organization. Maybe that person exists in your organization already. Maybe you need to go outside, right? I mean, there's obviously a ton, there's a whole industry of, of consultants, right? Business consultants right. out there um, that organizations have to bring in from the outside. So I think, you know, in that process of identification, you first need to, to really look internally about what attributes does this person need to embody and be real honest with yourself, you know, about, if that person actually exists in your organization or not, because it is a unique trait, I think that 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 it, that is embodied um, by some of these folks that are successfully change agents. You know, and what you don't want to do, I think, in that identification process is, you know, rely on politics a hundred percent because you're just going to set yourself up for failure. And I think that's the folly that many organizations take, whether it's on 
you know, the assignment of the change agent and who you're, you know, building a project team with, or, you know, the other components on communication and the right environment and all those things. Before you even kick something off, you got to make sure all of those ingredients are in place, right? Otherwise, you're just capping your upside. And I don't think any CFO or CEO wants to commit valuable resources to something that is doomed to fail. Right, right. <laughs> Definitely. And, you know, I think to follow on the the concept of the change agent, I mean, another, you know, as we were talking earlier, you know, another another concept kind of came out where, you know, on the outside of a company, they call them entrepreneurs because they're starting brand new businesses and and things like that. In, when you're inside a company, whether it's large or, or a smaller company, the, the concept of being an entrepreneur and really starting, whether it's starting new, new business lines or just starting new ideas and, and changes within, it it can become a very powerful thing, and I think it's I think it's tied up really with that that change agent uh, concept. What does it What does it look like to be an an entrepreneur, and you know how does this help both the company as well as the individual? Yeah, you know I I, I love that, and it really I think speaks to our relationship a little bit. You know, like you're a successful entrepreneur, you've had successful exits. You know, and I've always kind of looked up to you in that regard, Greg. And oh, you know, thanks. I've taken a very different approach. I think in my career, while I have uh, obviously been involved in a couple different startups, certainly not to the success you have, I have primarily been client side. I have primarily worked within organizations. But but you and I both, I think, share some of those intrinsic traits that an entrepreneur an entrepreneur must embody. Yeah. So you know, I, I, it's it's fascinating, and you know, I want to kind of spend a little bit of time talking about like the differences of those approaches. And, you know, I think some of it comes down to uh, kind of risk tolerance in some ways. Right. And I think people that gravitate towards, towards entrepreneurialism, you know, and start their own thing, obviously are, are very risk tolerant, right. You're willing to kind of put your neck out there, you know, put some skin in the game. Right. And um, that could obviously be a boon. Um, you know, it, it really could come back to bite you if, you if you're not ready, you know, and an entrepreneur is interesting because, you're not having to take on potentially that financial risk. You know, you're not having to put your own livelihood potentially, um, you know, out on the line. So, so what you're doing is, you know, you're you're just using other people's money, other people's resources, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the, the the motivation I think on an entrepreneur is obviously you 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 want to make you know a ton of money or you want to make some some significant impact on the world with with your investments, you know. And you know, dare I say, I've worked in some government contracting um, you know environments as well as private sector or whatnot. But more often than not, I find a lot of people that just look to kind of be content, you know, for, for lack of a better word, you know, they, they go to these organizations because of the safety, right? Because they can rely on that paycheck. They can clock in at 9am, clock out at five and forget about everything. Right. right. As an entrepreneur, you don't have that luxury, <laughs> right? You're, right? You're working right. Four hours a day. Um, so, so I think it's even harder to identify an entrepreneur is kind of what I'm getting at because the people that naturally gravitate towards working in, you know, maybe, maybe a pre-existing companies, right. You know, or maybe, maybe more inclined to look for that safety. So it makes it even more difficult to identify that change agent with your organization and why it might actually be more beneficial to look outside, right. To consultants who have formed a business around being a change agent in some sorts. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, right, right. I, that identification and being able, I, I, so I think if you have an entrepreneur in your organization, hold on to them. They're your rock stars, right? They're, they're the people, right, that have that kind of multiplication factor, right? Like I think any organization, you know, you have pluses, minuses, multipliers, and dividers, right? You've got people that add, right, value to the company. 
you know, you got people that subtract, you know, and, and maybe they're not always a subtractor. You know, I think everyone, if you're a brand new employee at a company, you're going to be a subtractor. It's going to take you a little while to, you know, learn the industry, learn the company's processes, the jargon, whatever it is, there's a learning curve, but hopefully everyone becomes an addition, right? But then you also have on the other side, dividers, right? They're the toxic people. They're the ones you want to get out of the organization, but change agents, they're the multipliers. They're the ones that lift up right a team that that impact others that align people and it's those types of people in your organization that you might want to tap to potentially be this change agent well yeah and i think that also gets back to culture too because you know the the company culture needs to support those maybe not the dividers so much but they need to it needs to support everybody because you can't if you have a company full of entrepreneurs there's going to be a million great ideas, but nothing will ever get done because people are too busy coming up with new ideas. Like you need the doers too. And yet if you only have doers, then you've just got a bunch of people that are, you know, in some cases just collecting a paycheck and clocking in clocking out and none, none are necessarily innovating. They may be supportive, but they're not innovating. And so I think that that does really come down to, you know, leaders being able to lead a diverse group of people with a diverse set of goals. And also, you know, those those entrepreneurs or change agents kind of also knowing when it's appropriate to think big and when it's appropriate to, you know, to, to follow through on, on those ideas. And I, I would say maybe that that is a strength of entrepreneurs that are successful is they they may be able to balance that even a little bit more than entrepreneurs that, that may be off on their next venture before the the first one is even you know fully successful. <laughs> yeah, you know it's interesting. I think I, like I, I um, participated in so many design thinking exercises uh, in my career, and and I've always loved the the just the general idea of like divergent thinking and then convergent thinking and and bringing people back together. And um, it takes a very unique person, I think, to be able to facilitate an effective, you know, design thinking exercise. And that's kind of what, what you know, in a, in a kind of a loose way, what we're, what we're talking about, you know, that that person needs to be able to innovate, to be able to think big picture outside of the box, you know, get it all, all you know, on a board somewhere or something like that. But then you need to be disciplined enough in a resource constrained environment to really hone in on what's going to provide that value, right? And, and I think in a lot of organizations, you know, for, for better or worse, especially publicly traded companies, you know, you're really looking at these short time horizons, you know, you have to produce quarterly results. And, you know, that sometimes handicaps your ability to really think long term, you know, you know, some of those, especially strategies where you might have to take a little bit of a dip to kind of reinvent, innovate, and then, you know, come out the other side with something transformational. Um, if you're, you know, sometimes you're just doing these small incremental improvements, you're obviously moving forward, but it's not necessarily going to be transformational. So I think that's some of the vision setting, right, that that I think yeah. needs to be done at the outset of these initiatives is really understand what what success looks like and what you're really trying to achieve. And sometimes that change can be drastic, you know, and sometimes it's, it's incremental, you know, but making sure that everyone understands that everyone that plays a role in the project understands that I think is really important. Yeah. I mean, I do think, you know, the, that, that idea of, I feel like there's, there's a growing gap, you know, the, the companies that are focused on short term, I mean, most, most companies have to be focused on some kind of short-term result, you know, for, for the reasons you already said, you know, for, for very practical reasons. But I think there are many companies, the category leaders that have kind of gotten over that hump somehow of, okay, you know, a focus on 
customer experience, employee experience, all, all of the above can actually translate to positive business outcomes. I feel like there's a growing gap of those that haven't quite gotten there yet. It's getting harder and harder to, to catch up with those that already kind of passed that you know, they, they kind of got past that, that tipping point. And I'm, it seems like a, it seems like a growing challenge because, you know, how do you, those leaders keep innovating and keep putting customers and employees first in their, in their business strategy, because they've proven that when they do that, they make more money. Those that have yet to do that, like I said, it seems like they're, there's a possibility they could keep falling behind, not necessarily getting ahead. So it's, it's kind of an upward, upward, battle would you would you agree 100 percent. you know i i uh, i cut my teeth uh you know developing websites you know back in the day and I remember learning table-based layouts right and then yeah yeah you know css came around right um you know uh, and then like you know obviously flash was a big thing and then you know now we're we're heavy you know javascript to, to kind of create some you know interactive experiences and things like that so it's constantly evolving but, but what's happening is the complexity is growing more and more so i couldn't imagine today in 2022 trying to become a web developer right like i did you know years ago right, right. i mean just right. like the the amount of options out there and languages and approaches and things like that like it's just growing and i think that's why you see you know web development example the advent of things and the success of things like squarespace right like it it gives this complexity and simplifies it to the ability for for you know the lay people to kind of stand up a website when when that didn't exist before um so that gulf is absolutely you know growing between those that can get by with just like a squarespace site or those large large organizations that need some very customized, really web application as a website. You know, I know that's some of the stuff that, that we even worked on together, you know, uh, you know, a couple companies ago. Um, right, right. But yeah, that, that, the complexity, you know, the learning curve and the gulf is definitely growing. And, and the, the creators, because they have to continuously learn um, in this industry and in technology and communications, there's new tools, right? There's a uh, but there's that lovely chart of, uh, you know, mar- marketing technology tools right <laughs> over the years that is, is you know, proliferated. It's like 7,000 plus different technologies and, yeah. and all over, overlap. So how the heck can a layperson or someone just, you know, in, getting introduced to, to marketing be able to navigate those waters? You know, that, that, that's crazy. They don't even know where to start to even select a partner or a tool to use. Yeah, It's not just the creation, but it's just like, the, the the options that are out there it's almost like choice paralysis i think for a lot of organizations and organizations nowadays can't get away without being a technology a data company first right that that's the what that's the adage right now is like every company is a technology company nowadays you know so, so ceos and, and cfos can no longer just get by without with with without an, a deeper understanding i guess of what's really driving their business right and that's what's gonna gonna kind of keep keep this going and, and evolving yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, one last question before we wrap up. Just kind of think about you know everything everything we talked about here. It was it was it was a lot um, a lot of, of stuff to and you know big big stuff happening and and big big initiatives. But you know for those that are you know let's uh, to paint a scenario here. You know the, for those that are those organizations that they're in a they're in some kind of change initiative and feeling a bit stuck. What would, you know, one piece of advice you would have for them be? You know, put hubris aside. 
I, I, I think, you know, a lot of organizations are incredibly successful, right? You've built it maybe from the ground up, right? Um, but, but bringing on a little bit of humbleness and saying, is the next change initiative really something I can accomplish 100% in-house, right? Because of the complexity of the world, um, you know, is growing, you know, you really be honest with your business. Focus on what you do and what you do well in your core business and all of these other things that are on the peripheries of what you do that support what you do. There are other companies that that is their core. So I think it's really, uh, you know, as the world progresses, it's it's less of the build in-house, right? It's more of the buy, but partner with other experts, right? Because to help navigate that environment, to help, you know, understand and get the right skill sets, especially with the talent shortage and technology that we've been facing even before the pandemic hit, making sure that you can get those experts is the most important thing. And spending a little bit of money to, to, to partner with some of these other companies, firms, people, uh, you know, consultants that you can bring in is worth the rate in gold because a, a false start, if you're a part of that 70% that you mentioned at the outset of failed digital initiatives, it's going to cost you way more to your bottom line to try to redo a change initiative than to just spend what it costs to be successful the first time. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. Well, Adam, thanks so much for joining. For those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with you and what you're doing? Yeah, I'm uh, actually in the process of updating, uh, you know, my personal website, um, looking for more opportunities, obviously, to, uh, you know, to get out there, you know, speak to folks and uh, see what ways I can continue to be a multiplier myself. So the website is adamchen.com. And in short order, uh, you'll see some updates. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Adam Chen, Chief Marketing Officer at Amenity Collective for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom. Talk with you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.theagilebrand.show. To get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, visit my website at gregkillstrom.com. Until next week, stay agile.